Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show I talk to Lily James about her role in the new rom-com What's Love Got to Do With It? which looks at romance through the prism of arranged or assisted marriages. Plus I speak to its writer Jemima Khan as well as other cast and its director. Paul Rudd returns as Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And we hear if Marvel's latest superhero movie is any good. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty. Or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you had a nice week and maybe a romantic week for the week that was in it, which is really a load of nonsense, as most of us know. The weird thing about it is all of my contemporaries and anybody I know who's in a relationship generally thinks Valentine's Day is the greatest load of nonsense. But yet we're all expected to give and we expect to receive gifts. It's the weirdest thing. Like everyone thinks that I know it's a hallmark holiday, but yet Oh, I had to get something. I had to give my wife something. I had to give my husband something. I had to give my boyfriend something, you know. But it could be worse. It could be like in our house where even the children get Valentine's gifts. This has nothing to do with me. This is my wife's idea. Uh, so nothing says Valentine's Day like a four-year-old getting a dinosaur. But anyway, I do hope you're well, romantically and otherwise. Now, this week, I was watching this. I'm Catherine, by the way. I'm 47. I'm divorced. I live with my sister, who's a recovering heroin addict. I have two grown-up children, one dead, one who doesn't speak to me, and a grandson, so... Why? Why don't you speak to you? It's complicated. Let's talk about you. Now that is a clip of Happy Valley and you heard Sally Lancashire there playing the steely detective Catherine Cowood there. Now, you might be going, hang on a second, Happy Valley? Is that not just over? Did that not begin over a decade ago? Yes, indeed it did, my friends. But here's the thing. I never watched Happy Valley and I never lied to you about TV because I, or movies that I've seen. Can't stand that. If I haven't seen this, I'll be straight with you. And Happy Valley was one of those shows that just completely passed me by. I, I, I actually thought it was a comedy or something. And then I just kept reading all these reviews about the final season, series three, that ended uh, over a week ago now at this stage. So this week I watched the entire first season and I was blown away by it. It is absolutely fantastic. In case you don't know, it's all about a strong-willed a police sergeant in West Yorkshire. So it's not London. It's, it's very much of its place. And she's coming to terms with the death by suicide of her teenage daughter. She's divorced. A man who was horrible to her family, let's say, is newly released from prison and there is a kidnapping afoot. She's also minding her daughter's, her dead daughter's young son. She's living with her recovering sister. Her life is a complicated life and it's very reminiscent of a show we adored on this show uh, called The Mayor of Easttown from over a year ago with Kate Winslet. And this is obviously, this started in 2012 or 2014. So this was long before Mayor of Easttown. But the parallels are quite similar. A strong-willed, very brave detective or sergeant or policewoman who's trying to keep her personal life together while dealing with some pretty rotten people. 
So the first season of Happy Valley, I absolutely adored. And I can't wait to get stuck into the next two. Now, as I say, you may be thinking, you're 10 years late to the party. And I am. But I'm glad I started it. Uh, Happy Valley, incredible, incredible TV that, as I say, reminds me of Mayor of Easttown. Now, another show I want to tell you about from the week, if in case you haven't seen it, and it's available on the RTE player, is Liam Brady, An Irishman Abroad, which was a documentary all about the famed footballer Liam Brady, who I think for people of my generation, we knew him primarily as a pundit, uh, one of the one of the talking sports heads on RTE sports coverage for World Cups and English Premiership football matches and all sorts of things. And of, of course, he had a glittering career with Arsenal and Juventus that we'd kind of heard about as opposed to knew that much about. That was certainly my case. And this documentary where he was clearly a willing participant follows him as he returns to Italy, to Juventus, and it traces his life as he does that. And it was absolutely delightful. Liam Brady, I suppose to lots of people, appeared maybe slightly gruff on the TV at times, if that's not an unfair thing to say, slightly narky. And in this, he comes across as a very sympathetic, well-rounded human being, a boy who just had a great talent for football and went off to England as an early teenager and then had great success at Arsenal and then went to Juventus. It begins with him getting emotional listening to John Lennon's uh, just like starting over as he's driving along a road in Italy and there were some beautiful scenes in it where he goes back to some of his former teammates uh, mostly Tardelli in particular from Juventus who he played with but the highlight of it was a very poignant moment where he discusses his relationship with Jack Charlton and and the narrative of has always been that him and Jack Charlton didn't get on. It was a bit more nuanced than that. But in the documentary, he reads a letter Jack Charlton sent him and it was just absolutely beautiful. It really was the, the, the TV moment of the week. So even if you're not into football, I, I think Liam Brady and Irishman Abroad is well worth a watch because I loved it. And it is on the RT player, which I watched it on. So, uh, and it played without interruption. So sometimes the RT player gets a bit of a hammering, but it worked fine for me. And there weren't that many ads either. So credit where it's due. And then finally, also an RTE, an RT heavy week, must be because the salaries were released. But uh, this week we... Uh, saw the return of Home of the Year, where Hugh Wallace, Amanda Bowen and Sarah Crosgrove march through people's houses and uh, grade them, give them points out of 10. And it's just very watchable TV, you know. And this week in the first episode, they were arguing about wallpaper in a pantry, you know. You know you've become middle-aged and middle-class, I think, when you're, you know, getting excited about arguments about wallpaper pantries. But hey... If the wallpaper fits. So Home of the Year is back and uh, I, for one, am enjoying it immensely. And very quickly, I want to mention or mark the passing of, of Raquel Welsh. The American actress died at the age of 82. A woman who refused to lie about her age, which is an unusual thing in Hollywood. A very interesting career. She she was a single mother raising two boys in Hollywood, which was unusual, certainly at that time. You know, she came to huge prominence because of her roles in in two kind of sci-fi movies, Fantastic Voyage, and then this famous movie, One Million Years BC, which she was in for, I think, you know, she 
very few lines and wasn't in it that much, but the promotional stills of her wearing this very skimpy two-piece deer skirt bikini became you know, one of the leading images of, of, of Hollywood and still to this day and in the Shawshank Redemption, that's one of the posters Andy Dufresne puts on his wall to, you know, attempt to keep him sane. Uh, so she was never expecting her life to be one where she was a, a pinup, was a very classy lady, it seems. As I say, she never lied about her age. She got a Golden Globe for her role in The Three Musketeers in the 70s. In later life, she was in all sorts of things like Legally Blonde. She ended up doing 30 movies and 50 TV shows. Paul Feig, who was also tweeting this week, cast her in Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. So she had you know, kept working for a long, long time and uh, a, a true icon screen, uh, no doubt about it. So RIP Raquel Welsh. Oh, is that Grinder? Is there anyone we should meet? No. no. I'm getting married. You are? He's the lucky lady. Don't know yet. What do you mean? I'm getting an arranged marriage. Well, assisted marriage. That's what we're calling it these days. Dare I ask, what about love? You grow to love the person you're with. What, like Stockholm Syndrome? <laughs> So, your ideas for your next film? I could follow my childhood friend to marry a stranger chosen by his parents. My big fat arranged wedding. <laughs> Me the parents, first. <laughs> Love contractually. Huh. Now, that was a clip from What's Love Got To Do With It? A new rom-com, but a rom-com with a difference that is opening in cinemas this Friday, the 17th of February. How do you find lasting love in today's world? Well, for documentary maker and dating app addict Zoe, played by Lily James, Swiping Right has only ever delivered an endless stream of Mr. Wrongs. That's according to her eccentric mother, Kath, played by Emma Thompson. Zoe's childhood friend and neighbour, Kaz, played by the English actor, Actor Shazid Latif, the answer is to follow his, his parents' example and opt for an arranged, or as they call, assisted marriage to a bright and beautiful bride from Pakistan. Now, as Lily James' character decides to film her friend's journey from London to Lahore to marry a relative stranger chosen by her parents, she begins to wonder. Might there be something for Westerners or British people or Irish people to learn from a profoundly different approach to finding love, the whole idea of assisted or arranged marriages? And as I say, it's a, it's a rom-com, but with a difference in that it's looking at, I suppose, British and, and Pakistani and Eastern culture and their approach to romance. But it is at its heart a rom-com and, and a pretty good one at that. Now, it is written by Jemima Khan. Yes, that Jemima Khan, who was famously married to Imran Khan, who was once a cricketer and also the president of Pakistan. And of course, she was a screenwriter, TV producer. Uh, she edited Vogue, the European Vogue at one stage. So a fascinating career and still a very young woman. And I got to talk to her about writing and indeed producing What's Love Got to Do With It? Is this kind of your kickback against things like you know, and I'm too old to have ever used them, but these dating apps like Tinder and Grinder and stuff I don't understand that there's actually some kind of merit in let's call them assistant marriages. Was was that the motivation for you writing this? Um, it's a good question. And I, I think that having lived in Pakistan for 10 years between the age of 20 and 30, I went there with some kind of preconceived notions about what that, uh, what, what, 
arranged marriages were, mm -hmm. and then saw some consensual and extremely successful versions of arranged or what they call now assisted marriage. Yes. And so I was forced to definitely question um, my own preconceptions about about it as as a way of finding lasting love. Mm -hmm. And when I came back to the UK, it was actually, I was in my thirties and a lot of my single friends were then looking to settle down and wanting kids. And it became this joke between us. Um, you know, I actually, when I was in Pakistan, kind of, I actually even got involved in arranging a few arranged marriages. Wow. Um, well, <laughs> alongside the entire family, because it's always an extremely okay. big committee. And um, can I just ask you what, what, like, when you were arranging the marriages, did you sit down and almost balance sheet, this works for this person, this doesn't work for this person, or...? Well, actually, it was it was more I was there for the parents definitely do that. And then the wider extended family do that as well. Mm. I was kind of brought in at the behest of the kids to meet okay. them. I, basically, I was I was there to go. They're attractive. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you can meet this one and not that one. But okay. it, I mean, it's not really about that. Um, and anyway, as I, I, as I was saying that when I came back, a lot of my single girlfriends were looking to settle down and were struggling and feeling a bit dispirited. And I, um, we had this sort of running joke that what, who, if we had functional sane parents who could agree on such things, who would they choose for you and would it work? And that mm. became the sort of, that became the beginning of the script really. Right. Like, okay. What would happen if, you know, someone like me at 30 had suddenly said to you know turned to my mom and gone all right i've messed it up go on you have a go <laughs> yeah 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 I, well that, that's an interesting motivation uh lily james it, it seems to me is is becoming kind of the british nation's sweetheart you know maybe because of downton abbey and she just has this utter presence of the girl next door i mean as a writer did you uh, do you think oh i wonder who would play this or do you just write it and then it's someone else's turkey kind of um, well, luckily for me, because I was also a producer on it, mm. I did get, um, I, I got a, a say in the casting and okay. I, yeah, and Lily's, Lily's very much a working title and a Studio Canal favourite as well. Yes. So completely unanimous. If Lily yeah. likes this, we're, you know, we're, we're on and we're all in. Um, and she is literally the girl next door in this. Yeah, so, yeah, she, she is. Yes, the ultimate girl next door. Um, she's she's amazing. She's the most committed, hardworking. Um, she's got a work ethic that I've never seen before in anybody else. You know, and she's the one asking for another take, another day, another rewrite. She just keeps wanting it to be better and better. Which yeah, is sort of, you know, kind of in awe of. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a compliment and maybe it's one for the director, but but I kept thinking of this being an almost like postmodern Richard Curtis movie. So take that as a compliment with with a touch of Bollywood in it or something like that. Listen, just in closing, because because I have to wrap these things are terribly short, but you talked about hard work and you are an incredibly hardworking person who seems to have had seven careers. How wildly stressful or not was being editor of Vanity Fair? Because it strikes me as one of those jobs that would just be like, when do you sleep? Or was it a period of your life that you thought that was great? 
Oh, well, I wasn't actually the overall editor. I you were a European the editor, editor, weren't you? That's not, busy. So it's not as stressful. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and it, it, actually, honestly, um, I was doing that with kind of other stuff. I, I wasn't, I mean, that was manageable. Making this film was way, way, way more okay. labor-intensive and stressful. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And also, I think, there is a really big difference in a monthly magazine. I worked at The Independent as well, mm -hmm. uh, and I had a column on The Telegraph. And and those short lead times, you know, the, uh, uh, for a weekly or a daily, I think are much, much more yeah. intensive yeah. and stressful. Fair enough. Well, sorry, I got off topic on the movie there, but it's <laughs> it's your very career. It was lovely to meet you, and, and the film's delightful. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I love it. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye. Jemima Khan there talking to me about writing and producing What's Love Got To Do With It. After the break, the star of What's Love Got To Do With It, Lily James. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now before the break, we were talking to Jemima Khan who wrote the new newly released rom-com, rom-com with a difference, as I'm calling it, which has as its subject matter uh, assisted marriages, and it's called What's Love Got to Do With It? As I mentioned, it's all about a documentary maker played by Lily James, who's not very successful in love, and she follows with a camera her best friend, her childhood friend, a guy called Kaz, played by the British actor Sajid Latif, as he embarks on an assisted marriage, and they go off to Lahore, and true love does not run smoothly. Now, Lily James, who we know from starting off in Downton Abbey to all sorts of movies and TV shows ever since, Rebecca on Netflix, which I spoke to her for, Pam and Tommy, which I have raved about where she played Pamela Anderson. She's become a really, really popular English actress and almost the type of actress it seems filmmakers go to uh, when they want a, a certain a certain role, which is very versatile, a great actress. And her best friend in the movie, Kaz, is played by Shazad Latif, who's been, again, in all sorts of other things like The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Penny Dreadful. He was in Toast, which a lot of people adore. And indeed, it's spin-off series, Toast of Tinseltown. So I got to talk to the two of them about what's love got to do with it. Lily, I imagine you get offered lots of rom-coms and Jemima actually described you earlier, or maybe I did as the nation's sweetheart and how in this... You, I know, I know. You are literally the girl next door in this movie, <laughs> literally. So I'm just wondering, did you get it and think, I'm going to do this one? This is great. Yeah, I did. It felt so unique and different. I thought, you know, obviously Jemima's written it and a lot of it's from her own experiences. And so it felt, you could just feel that. It felt so real and beautiful and such a sort of deep look at love in, you know, framed through like the East and the West and the traditions mm -hmm. and a really like, gorgeous like unjudgmental look at how the hell you make love work um <laughs> and it was and then also I have to say Shaz was attached when I got the script during lockdown and I was like oh my god he's one of my best mates we get to make a film and hang out together and not you know and 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 I was just so sort of um too good to be true yeah. and it continued to feel that way Good. I actually spoke to you for Rebecca and mm. you said something like, how do I figure it, How do we figure out how to make love work? So there you go. And circles we move. Uh, uh, Shazad, you know, yeah. 
Shazad, I'm sure people have mentioned this, but my understanding is your Scottish and Pakistani heritage. Was this whole business of, they call them assisted marriage as opposed to arranged marriage, I understand. Was it anything you'd ever come across with friends or relations or anything like that? Yeah, I've got family members that have been through um, assisted marriages. Yeah, my cousin recently got in it, you know, in a very a way very similar to, to the movie, actually, where... Mm very lovely you get to meet the person talk talk you know you get, it's not it's not in any way arranged or forced or anything like that and it's just it seems to be the modern way and mm. millions of people are doing it so it's, yeah and, and the movie i guess is because you know as an irish man we didn't have anything like that you were lucky to find any kind of love you know especially in my case but the movie kind of makes the point that you know this this can work that you know we in the west for want of a better phrase have this view that this is just horrific and people are doing it against their will but it clearly has a function and has been the bedrock of a lot of families of billions of people yeah i mean what what was the, there was some crazy stuff it was like yeah. two, i mean yes they make up 25 south asians 25 percent population of the world or something yeah. like that and it's like mm. if it's if it's working you know in that way for them then there's no one way you know i suppose yeah. that's yeah. saying the message of the movie yeah, this is one way to do to do anything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I loved that idea of of the ex, the polarity, the, the extremity of like Zoe's getting it so wrong in her life of this endless dating and swiping and trying to have it all, trying to manage her career. Yeah. Her life, da, 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 and she's just really struggling under the weight of that burden. And her mom's almost forcing her. And her mom is <laughs> is literally trying to force her into relationships. Yeah. But then you realize when she says, you know, that these assisted marriages, they are chosen by the person who knows you best, your parent. And there's something sort of beautiful in that. I mean, whether yeah. or not you really believe your parent knows you best is another matter. But <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> let's not get into that now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to say no to Emma Thompson, though. I, I oh, imagine that's if so. she's playing your mother. And really, one part of I like, which has not nothing to do with romance, is these horrible pitch meetings you have with these two guys. And, you know, anyone in the entertainment industry has, has experienced those. Did any of that touch base for you in terms of acting that things can be just so, no, sorry, you didn't get this, but maybe you could be a performing monkey in another thing or something yeah. like that? Did, did that hit home at all? I, that really hit home. And also <laughs> the idea that you're like trying to adapt to their idea as it goes and pretend like it was your idea, like desperately trying to fit into what they want, which is mm. so exhausting and impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was hilarious. And those two guys were absolutely hilarious. I could yeah. barely keep a straight face. Yeah. Shazad, I was just uh, Wikipediaing you this morning, which is the modern way. And got my it, name wrong. They've got Wikipedia's got my name wrong. I right? saw that. I saw that because <laughs> I was making sure I didn't mispronounce your name and it was really confusing. But on the personal life, it says you're a technophobe, which I thought was a bizarre statistic. It's been haunting me for, since I was 21. <laughs> it since, is since true, no, yeah, I'm, no, is it true? I'm not, I'm not technophobe. I just always steered away from having like a, a smart for as long as possible you, he didn't have an iphone for so long he had like a nokia 3210 little, little, little yeah burner phone whatever it, they, you know um <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> careful just a weird shit phone but oh yeah, yeah. okay just a bad phone you can um, say shit it's fine one now no you don't have an iphone do you i just got a, a samsung iPad. flip yeah, yeah samsung flip. Um, oh yeah, good man yeah, yeah. no it's just like i don't you know, I'd rather do face to face. I try my mind's all I'd like to keep my mind clear as possible, as much as possible. And you had the best film collection ever. Was are they are they videos or they're DVDs? I remember transferring from the videos to the DVD. Yeah. Now they're all in the suitcases in my little shed. Yeah, don't get you're preaching to the converted. Don't throw yeah. it to DVDs. Lily, we're out of time, but I just want to say in closing, I review TV on the station you're talking to me. And I just want to say 
and I've, it's a matter of public record, you were absolutely brilliant in Pam and Tommy. And I think it's a crying shame that you didn't win a Golden Globe. You really, really deserve it. I thought it was the best performance in TV last year. And I know that sounds like painted gravity, but trust me, if you had time, you could Google it. I've said this many times. Oh, over. So I thought you were stupendous. So, Thank uh, you so You deserved much. an award. I hope you get Thank one somewhere. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's my award. You be ah, Come, 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 come. Lovely to talk to you guys. Thanks a million. Thank you. Bye. Lily James and Shazid Latif there talking to me about their respective roles in What's Love Got to Do With It. And I wasn't lying when I told her she should have won a Golden Globe for Pam and Tommy because I thought it was a fantastic performance. Not that Pamela Anderson was particularly fond of her life being portrayed that way, but it was a very sympathetic uh, portrayal of it, it has to be said. Now, I've one more interview to bring you from What's Love Got to Do It. It was directed by a man called Shakar Kapoor, who is a filmmaker who was very big in India. Fascinating guy. He's been an actor, TV presenter, an entrepreneur. He started life as an accountant. Now, he's had some, I suppose, success on this side of the world with uh, films like Elizabeth, The Golden Age, uh, Bandit Queen, Four Feathers, a very interesting guy. He's been nominated for Oscars and BAFTAs and uh, I had a chat with him about what's love got to do with it. Given your background, uh, I know you've done all sorts of things. You've been mainstream Hollywood, but Bollywood was where you started. Was part of the appeal of this, even though this is not a Bollywood movie and this might sound like horrible cultural monolithicism for me to even say it, but the idea of moving the action to Lahore and looking at things like assisted weddings, albeit within the confines of a very traditional English setting with, with Lily's character, was that part of the appeal for you that this was a pleasant mismatch of styles? No, no. <laughs> okay, so I got that completely what, wrong. What was appealing to me was the fact that uh, what I could see was Lily's fundamental issue of how do I find intimacy in life, and do I go to Tinder, and will I find intimacy with constant dating and 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 multiple sexual partners? It's the same issue in India. It's the same issue in Pakistan. Okay, it's, it's you know it's the same all over the world. The world is one one place now. Yeah. So that's what drove me is to see. And let the audience decide which way do you go? How do you find the idea of intimacy? Mm. Where do you find it? So there's one Western way, which has now become international. You know, Tinder is everywhere. Any other form of it is anywhere. And yet there is this traditional way of getting married, which is a nine-day ceremony and this thing, and the whole family gets involved. Let the audience see it. It wasn't mm. any decision to be made. So that's why I wanted to do the film. Okay. So it's, fair enough. What me was Zoe, the character of the girl. Okay. Okay. Well, that 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 makes sense. You know, I was saying to the guys earlier, uh, Lily and also uh, Jemima, that I came of age slightly after Tinder and all that, and I was happily married before it became, as I imagine you did as well, that your romantic days weren't during Tinder. Is you know maybe it's too cliche to think, but are you very anti those? Dating apps, because it seems to me that there's with those dating apps, it's there's too much choice. Um, you should have asked me this question 20 years ago. I would have had a different answer. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't think so. I think that, you know, if society doesn't keep evolving, the society will disintegrate and, and ruin itself. So this is another evolution of society. What I like, actually, if you're asking me about Tinder, is that it's given girls much more power. Okay. The first time I saw girls getting power when the pill came, now I see that the girls themselves can make the decision of there's no more idea of, oh, I've got to seduce the girl. That puts like a different power position, makes the girls less powerful if, if the guys mm -hmm. have to go 
what's it is. Now the girl have they can make the decision of who they want to be with. So that's a great thing, and that's part of our evolution of understanding that the female sex is not any way weaker than us. Mm. So that's a but, good thing about Tinder. Yeah. But 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 the the interesting thing is casual sex is leading to if you're looking for intimacy will it give it to you if it's just excitement it's fine what do you want out of it yeah fair enough tell me this i was fascinated i obviously i've seen one or two of your films before and you had big success and nominations and all sorts of things with when you looked at the story of elizabeth but i was fascinated to realize that you were an accountant uh you know and uh did you know that that, that old saying I, I used to be an accountant but i'm okay now i just it seems like such an incongruous job for a film director but maybe it's come in handy you know when you have to worry about budgets and stuff like that i guess what i'm asking is the career trajectory when you were working as an accountant did you ever think you'd end up as a film director no i knew i didn't want to be an accountant so after I- how long after a year of being an article clerk and looking at books in a musty musty <laughs> room somewhere and watching friends that i'd made sort of roaming around moving out with with lots of hot young girls and i'm saying what am i doing here i'm 19 <laughs> years old what have i done to myself and no but i walked away from being an accountant i didn't walk away from being wanting to be a film director mm. i walked away to see if i could do something that was more me and that meant that i want to walk into something where i which where i discover who i am personally i could not do it as an accountant at that time mm. so i walked away from accounting and fell into filmmaking and often every time i make a film i try to do something else to realize i've really yeah. done anything else so i come back to filmmaking do you think you have discovered who you are we never do and constant yearning to say who am i and we keep changing Mm. that's the most brilliant part and that's what i love about this film also you the character is not the same character that start off yeah. they keep changing and at the end we're saying was well, it still evolving they're still evolving that's what's what's so fascinating about life the day you discover who you are you've actually ceased to be alive Well, that's a beautiful place to finish and I'm awfully glad you came up accountancy because what's love got to do with it is delightful so lovely to talk to you thanks a lot The director, Shakar Kapoor, there talking to me about what's love got to do with it and uh, finding meaning in life and other such philosophical things. And as I say, what's love got to do with it is released on Friday, the 17th of February. Up next, the return of the Ant-Man. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, the other big release of the week is the new superhero movie, superhero movie from Marvel Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, rather unwieldy title. Is the movie unwieldy? To find out, I'm joined by film critic and arts journalist Chris Wasser. Hi, Chris. How are you? John, I'm very well. How are you doing? Good. So listen, I made reference to the strange title, but in essence this is kind of the third Ant-Man movie in the Ant-Man series of sorts with Paul Rudd being the titular Ant-Man. It it is a little bit. Yeah, the third Ant-Man movie. Remember there was a time when we didn't even think we'd have one Ant-Man movie. <laughs> um I think all these years later I'm still probably one of a few people who were were left wondering, you know, and left maybe wishing 
what if what if Edgar Wright had 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 gotten to make his Ant Man movie instead of you know being a part of this bigger Avengers story? Um, and I, I might even there might even be people wondering that after they've seen the third Ant Man because like all the other Ant Man films, this one is very much part of a bigger universe, and it's very much you know there you know this is the start of what Kevin Feige is now calling Phase Five of the MCU. It's there to bridge the gap from one from one Avengers film to the other to basically continue on Paul Rudd as Scott Lang his adventures and also to introduce a villain for the next big Avengers movie so it's trying to do an awful lot at once while also being an Ant-Man film yeah and um, one worries when the people who make the movie are telling you this is kind of a bridge to the next universe you know you you feel like that's rather limited expectations but anyway and the Ant-Man character I mean he was a a nice fellow in Avengers Endgame and he he did have a life before that but in this the third one what's going on what's the plot in this one yeah, well, he tells you in the opening in the, in the first few minutes that you know the life that he had before he was a superhero wasn't 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 a good one, you know, and that being a superhero, being the Ant Man, sort of saved Scott Lang, played by Paul Rudd, from a life behind bars. You know, he was a he was a thief, and he was a very good thief, but I suppose not in, in one way. You know, he was a good thief, and he was very famous for it, but not a great one, in that he kept ending up in, in, in prison. But you know, he sorted himself out, he saved the world, and now he's written a book about it. So he's promoting this book when he gets a call to say that his teenage daughter daughter Cassie she's played by Catherine Newton she has actually landed herself in jail now she's picked up a little bit of her dad's traits you know the thieving ones and also the superhero ones and he's a little bit worried you know have I been setting the right example have I been too wrapped up in my own thing well that doesn't really matter because she's actually been secretly working with his mentor that's Hank Pym played by Michael Douglas and with his superhero girlfriend Hope Van Dyne uh, aka the Wasp also uh, played by Evangeline Lilly and they've been working on some now I'm going to try and get this right I think they've been working on some top secret communicative portal device thing that will help them maybe communicate with the quantum realm that's where janet's uh, character played by michelle pfeiffer that's where she was trapped for 30 years it's all very you know silly incoherent movie science stuff but let's just say that they're messing with things that they don't really know enough about and before you can say boom the device breaks everybody that i've just mentioned ends up sucked inside of us they end up sucked inside the quantum realm and they're all separated so what we're presented with is a lost in space sort of scenario where you've got this family that are separated in this mysterious universe where they realize that they're not alone that their entire civilization's here and that they're all in fear of this you know megalomaniacal overlord who calls himself kang so away we go Right. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a very good description of a clearly complicated plot. And Kang is played by Jonathan Majors, who's done all sorts of things like Lovecraft Country. Is actually going to be on the show in the coming weeks talking about his role in Creed Three. I mean, he's he's a, certainly a rising star. Is he good as Kang? I think, yeah, he is a certainly a rising star and he was terrific in The Last Black Man in San Francisco yes. four or five years ago. And yes. Kevin Feige has been talking about the fact that that film is one of the reasons why we're seeing so much of him and one of the reasons why he was cast as Kang. And he certainly has the acting chops, the charisma, the enthusiasm and the presence to pull off a villain role. But it's one thing having an actor doing brilliant stuff as a villain. It's another to give him a script that actually works. And that's the biggest problem with Ant-Man 3. You know, or to, I, I, I don't think we should have to say Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania all the time, John. That's just, <laughs> we're just going to trip over ourselves. Um, but the biggest I problem, certainly am. So. 
the biggest problem with Ant-Man 3 is its script. And I was kind of reminded while watching it of that story that Harrison Ford tells when he was on the first set, uh, on the first Star Wars film set, and they were having problems with the screenplay. And we all know that, you know, George Lucas, not, not the best writer in the world, you know, created this wonderful universe, which we all love. But a terrible screenwriter, and and Harrison said to him one day, George, you can type this guff, but you can't say it. And I did, and I did start to think to myself, did anybody on the set of Ant Man ever feel like that at any stage? Because you've got all of these awesome heavyweights and and newcomers. You've got Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, Bill Murray mm. shows up at one stage. Then you've got Jonathan Majors, the always charming Paul Rudd, and they're all required to just talk absolute nonsense to one another to the point where. You can tell, especially with Douglas, that it's beginning to grace a little bit. And they're all they all have to talk about things that happened before the audience showed up and all and, and all sorts of things that will happen maybe three or four films down the line. And after a while you just kinda of think to yourself, stop talking and just do something. Mm. You know, it just it just becomes very heavy, it becomes very tiresome, and it just it, it just becomes far too silly to take seriously. And we ne- we need to take a, some of it seriously, but it's impossible when every second word out of Michael Douglas's mouth is quantum this and quantum that. And what about the CGI and the blue screen? Is because this is often a problem with a lot of these movies. Do you get the sense that a lot of them were acting to tennis balls at the end of strings, or or, or what's the vibe like in terms of that and this? Yeah, disappointed you do actually get the sense that there were a few tennis balls involved and that a few of the actors were not able to, you know, perform well with those tennis balls. Um I, I just I've I'm so crushed that because I, I did like the the the, the first couple of Ant Man films to see this cast and to see this story taken into this fantastical world for 120 minutes, it's such a waste because mm. one of the best things about Ant Man is that, you know, he's already out of place on Earth. And yeah. he's supposed to be this ordinary guy who is just, you know, this accidental superhero. He spends the first five minutes walking around San Francisco, basically telling you through his memoir, because he's written a book about saving the world, that, you know, I'm surprised that I'm a superhero. And I'm surprised that there's a, spe- that there's a place for me in this world. Keep him in that world. Do all sorts of weird things with him on Earth. You know, don't just have him helping out the Avengers. Give him his own story on planet Earth. When you actually put him in this lost in space, in this kind of Flash Gordon setup, because that's the kind of vibe that they're going for. He's no longer the most interesting person on screen. He's no longer cool. He's no longer funny. He's just kind of lost. He's he's kind of one super being in a film full of super beings. Yeah. And, and and also he's he's a he's a super being in a film full of just CGI overload. And everyone just looks as though there there are scenes in the film that are quite shoddily edited where you're wondering, were, was everybody on set that day? Is this, is this just been cussed to make it look as though they're all in the same room? It's a little bit Phantom menace at times, John, where you're kind okay. of thinking this is quite soulless. It's quite charmless. I wish we were back on Earth. And you see, when you said Flash Gordon lost in space, I thought, wow, that's that's a really interesting analogy. And if that's what they're going for. But if that is what they're going for, they clearly don't pull it off. No, that w- it would be. I think it's what they they start out by going for. I mean, they brought in Jeff Loveness, who actually has written an awful lot of Rick and Morty on this, and we have the same director as the first two Ant Men. But clearly, they wanted to do something bonkers. They wanted yeah. to do something that would, you know, take risks, and you know, they'd have some madcap ideas. And they do have some very weird ideas in there. One of them I don't really want to talk about because you know I hate this whole thing that we might spoil the film and talking about it. But there are a couple of characters that come back from 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 you know from the previous okay. MCU entries that that okay that is a little bit mad but 
it's almost as though they're pushing the ideas out there and say, here's the idea, but we don't really know what to do with them. And ultimately as well, we need to keep things kind of safe and ordinary and level because we're, we're setting up things that we're going to be telling over five or six films. So we can't just give you everything right now. So there's an awful lot of talking, as I say, about with, about what, what might happen, but we don't get to see it. So yeah. it's disappointingly ordinary and you can't be ordinary and, and, and flash and safe when you're doing, you know, that 1950s kind of space opera stuff. Um, mm. And even like in terms of the, the, the action sequences, they just, they just play out in front of you like a, like a, a, a cutaway sequence from a video game. And that's a shame. I mean, I do like all of the people involved here and I do like this character and I love Paul Rudd. I think he is his usual charming self at the, uh, uh, you know, in, in this role, but I think he knows we've done everything we possibly can at this stage with this character. You know, the character of Ant-Man always was that kind of walking, talking punchline. Mm. Should, should we have just, you know, signed off on the Avengers yeah. films? Was, was there a need to return in the first place? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. You see the problem and I've, we've both already alluded to it, but when you're more concerned about scene setting for future films to come, as opposed to seeing this movie as a standalone beginning, middle and end where you have to tell a story, it's probably very problematic, you know? Uh, now, and I want to make clear, I, on this show have never just been one of those people who hates on superheroes for its own. So I gave a glowing review to Avengers Endgame. I love the last Spider-Man movie. So, and Chris, you're the same. We don't just, you know, want to say these things are bad for their own sake and they're very popular but it, it seems to me from what you're saying even superhero fans are going to struggle with this one oh i think so and it's interesting that we shouldn't take these things seriously but it does currently have the second worst rotten tomato score for a marvel mm. film i think it's down to 53 percent now okay uh which is unheard of for a marvel entry and no i don't hate the superhero genre at all i think you know the i thought the last spider-man film was terrific the avengers stuff has been very good the captain america stuff has been brilliant mm. i quite enjoyed the last thor but it's just a case of we've seen marvel do amazing things and when they've been as good as they have been it's such a shame to kind of see to, to see them you know in, stuck with 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 something that isn't working and that's uh, that's that's the ant-man at the minute and also mm. this this multiverse storyline that they're setting up it do, there is a sense that marvel is just they're not quite sure what to do with themselves after reaching the heights of that um of avengers endgame that they're yeah. kind of just that they're kind of just going through the motions so i will say this john look it's it's not as bad as eternals but it's kind of worse than the last doctor strange film Okay, and that was pretty And that wasn't terrible. great. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't. So, so begins phase five of the next installment of the Marvel Universe. Come here, I have to quickly ask though, Bill Murray, who, you know, I would watch licking stamps, uh, is he doing something comedic here? Is he, like, what's going on with his cameo? I think the idea was to do something comedic, but the jokes just misfire here. Okay. Um, that's another that like the 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 humor about that first Ant Man film uh, was one of its you know it was was one of the best parts. Uh, you know it was it was very quippy. You know the jokes hit the back of the net. With this, it's a little uh, it's a little airless and it's a little stilted and clumsy. And Bill Murray is let's just say playing a character from Janet's past who knows a thing or two about the, you know, about the world that these characters have gotten themselves lost in. And there was potential there to do something magical with them. But the whole time I was watching it, I won't say who he is and what happens to him, but the whole time I was watching Bill Murray scenes, it's again, going back to this thing where did they bring Bill in for one day when nobody else was around? Because the way it's been edited suggests that it looks okay. as though everyone's just doing reaction shots to something that someone in Bill Murray's place was saying. And that is not how you tell stories. That's not how you create memorable scenes and it's not how you create memorable films. 
No, it certainly isn't. So, I'm nearly afraid to ask, but a star rating for Ant-Man and the Wasp. God, it's hard to say. <laughs> Quantumania. Quantumania. Uh, Ant-Man 3, as we're calling it. What are you going to give it stars-wise? Uh, nice stuff from Rudd. He is trying. Decent stuff from Jonathan Majors. I'm looking forward to seeing him in Creed, but this film's not working out for them. It's two stars. It's two stars. Okay. I, I, I thought you were going to go lower, so that's fair enough. The good news is five phases, f- f- the fifth phase is only beginning, so there's <laughs> lots more of this stuff. Chris Wasser, arts journalist and film critic, thank you very much. Thanks, John. You're an interesting man. Scott Lane. Um, I don't know who you are, but you've made a big mistake. Okay. <laughs> I'm an Avenger. I've called the other Avengers. You're an Avenger? Have I killed you before? What? They all blow together after a while. You're not the one with the hammer. That's Thor. We get confused a lot. Similar body types. Who are you? Just a man who's lost a lot of time. Like you. But we can help each other with that. A clip there from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which Chris Wasser gave too. And it didn't sound great, to be honest. And you heard Paul Rudd and Jonathan Majors there, who I had a heartbreak of an interview with recently. I'll tell you about that at another time. Technology was not our friend. That is it for this week. I'll just remind you this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on News Talk. Please subscribe to it. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word as they say. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on News Talk. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Thank you for listening. Have a safe week ahead and I'll talk to you next week.